Welcome to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast by Scott L. Wyatt, President of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit www.suu.edu forward slash President's Podcast, where you will find both the audio and a written transcript for today's podcast. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast featuring Scott L. Wyatt, the president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. I'm your host, Steve Meredith, and joining me today in studio, as always, is President Wyatt. Hi, Scott. Hello, Steve. Thanks for... This is fun. It is fun. And uh, today we're going to be doing what we call a teaser for the second book in our 2018 Summer Book Club. And the book is 1984 by George Orwell, and uh, certainly a well-known, well-recognized title, um, and and the beginning of the or or one of the great dystopian novels, anyway, maybe not the beginning of them, but uh, we have a guest to help us tease this subject and get people fired up about reading this book for the month of July, and uh, so please introduce her. So one of the fun things about being on a university campus is having interesting people that are experts in so many subjects um, and be able to be engaged with them all the time. And today we have Joy Starantino, who's an assistant professor of English. Um, Welcome to the show, Joy. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And this book, uh, 1984, is a book that you regularly teach. Yes. I teach it every semester. And you've been teaching this for how long? Last three or four or five years? Ten? Uh, maybe, I don't know, like eight years probably. <laughs> well, so we'll just agree that you know more about this than we do. <laughs> well, we In can, spite of the fact that we, we would both hope. lived through 1984. <laughs> oh, I was there too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Steve and I were older in 1984. Well, okay. Um, well, it's 1984. So... Why in the world would I want to read a book that's predicting what the world will be like in 1984? Uh, this is actually one of my favorite novels, and the reason that I went into dystopian literature studies. Um, the thing is, it's still apropos. It's not just applying itself to that time period. We still see governments that are like this. So the point of 1984 is what if uh, government control went to the extreme? What would that look like? And we see governments that are already there. We see elements of our own government where it can get kind of scary because, you know, there are things like the book talks about where there's surveillance, like maybe extreme surveillance. Um, There's talk about controlling the media, alternative facts, things like that. And this is the extreme version of that where the government... Uh, controls all of the history, all of the news. There's nobody else that's allowed to. And so it changes what people would think because they only have access to what the government tells them. And sometimes it's hard to know a direction you're headed or at risk at heading unless you look at the end of the path, right? So right. Um, what happens if we keep going in this direction? I think the more f- freedom the more control that we give up to government, 
whether it's our government or somebody else's government or something like that, uh, the, the more we're going to get into such a hole that we, we don't have any freedom anymore. And that's a really frightening place to be. And that's in 1984, the protagonist, Winston, that's the position he's in. He wants to fix the situation, but so much control has been given away at that point. Um, and they are policed so strictly that trying to rise up against that is nearly impossible. And despite the fact that he's that, that he is adamantly opposed to it, he's also complicit in it. That that's his job every day is that he he helps rewrite the news. Yeah, exactly. And in, in this book, there's there's three factions, if you want to call them factions. There's the proles, which is eighty five percent of the population. They just kind of live like life the way we do. Uh, with less than maybe we do, but more or less just like your average person. Um, and then there's the inner party, which is the 1% ruling class. Well, 2%, 2% ruling class. And then there's the outer party, which is the rest of that percentage. And Winston's part of that outer party. And parts of their job is to help. Like his job specifically is to alter the news to fit what the party says and literally, if they change their mind on their stance, he goes back and changes it again um, to say that this is always what the party thought. This is always what the gov- the government thought. And because people don't have access you know, to the Internet or books or anything like that, that is their only means of understanding their world. And so when memory runs out, it's gone. In, in 1949, when this book was written, there were no Kendall's. There weren't home computers. All of our knowledge was printed materials. Radio, but no television yet. Yeah, radios. If we had a book, we had a book. And and, um, he's projecting forward to um, a time when most of the printed material is not printed. It's, It's digital. That's interesting. Yeah, and I don't and know how he, I don't know how he would have seen that. which features prominently in the story, where he has to find a a spot in his apartment where Big Brother can't see him because of the angle of the of the two way television. Uh, but that, it's very interesting that that you know just from being a future predictor of what the technology might look like that we we very much have that in our homes now. We were just talking about whether it's our laptop camera or Alexa or Siri or whoever we we let we let these avatars or uh, the other people into our homes in pretty significant ways now. He's he's writing this book um, at the end of World War II and pulling in um, themes from um, Hitler and from Stalin mm-hmm. and a little bit from Franco. And so he's seen societies that that look pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and he's he, before he wrote this book even, he wrote a letter, someone uh, was asking uh, about this kind of thing. Uh, can governments get like this? Or, you know, do we have to worry? And he specifically brings up Hitler and Stalin and that people, you know, at that point Orwell was... Um, saying that Hitler's not going to be in power much longer, but what people are willing to do is to follow Stalin because it's better than Hitler, even though it's still not good. Um, so that's the the worry <laughs> is that we're like, well, it can't get that bad. We do that, right? So nobody wants to see that 
things can actually get that bad. It wouldn't really do that. I'm aware, you know, I know what happened in the past, so it could never happen now. But we do tend to make these compromises without realizing it. And it's not a good compromise. It's not between two good choices. They're kind of two bad choices, but one looks a little better than the other. So we choose that. What is, um, so let's, uh, some of our listeners may not know the word dystopia. Okay, so dystopian novels are uh, the kind of the opposite of a utopian novel, utopian being an ideal world. Um, and there's very few utopian novels out there because it is really, really hard to write a perfect society. It's very easy for a reader to tear that apart. But dystopian novels are this supposedly perfect society, but it has one or more major flaws to it. And they're usually some kind of extreme uh, situation to what we have now. It's a commentary on society. That's the whole point on, of them is to comment on today's society. But because we're far removed from it, like many of them are science fiction. Uh, so for instance, you know, 1984 is because they didn't even have televisions uh, yet when he wrote it and other technology that they had in the book didn't exist yet. So it's science fiction. Uh, but it's like, okay, if this is so far removed from me, I can see it clearly. If it's just what's going on now and someone's explaining it, I might not listen because I'm like, no, it's not really like that. Yeah. But it takes our maybe our current situation and warps it just enough that mm -hmm. it seems horrifying, but we still can recognize elements of ourselves in it. Yeah. And hopefully what, what they want you to see is that this is the path. We may only be three steps into that path, but look what if we stay focused in this direction – where will we be if there's 20, if we do the 20 steps instead of three and people don't always think that far ahead because we're busy living our lives or think that it's not possible, but that the whole point of this is if you face this direction, if you're facing this direction, you will end up where you're facing. So we need to be aware of where we're facing and make sure it's the direction we want to go. Dystopian novels. We, the, people have been writing novels for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but dystopian novels are relatively recent, aren't they? Yes. The first dystopian novel is A Time Machine by H.G. Wells. Uh, and that was written in 1895. And then we've got, so just a little bit more than 100 years worth of history of dystopian novels. Mm -hmm. Why would I want to read something depressing? Why would I want to read <laughs> things that are happy? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I have just a, you know masochistic way of, of doing <laughs> things but i i get so pulled into these worlds that i really like dystopian novels even though there are horrific parts to them that are painful and you know you watch other people whether you think it's applying to your society or not you see these other people suffering and mm -hmm. you're thinking my goodness we need to do something about that um so it, it makes me think more about my own life about the situation I'm in, about the society I'm in, um, and what I can do as an individual to help improve those, my own societies, my own groups that I'm in. Uh, so for me, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult read sometimes, um, emotionally, but I get so much out of it. I've learned so much from them that I just am drawn to them over and over again. Well, and this is the perfect time to read 1984 because... Um, what we're doing today is the teaser to just kind of try to pull you in to read it. And then uh, at the end of 
the month, the end of July, we'll spend an hour talking about what we read. Um, so it's a great time to do it. It's a perfect yeah. time to do it because we'll, we 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 have this kind of bookended and and uh, and we hope that you all join us at the end of the month. Those that are listening, um, join us at the end of the month when we come back and talk about what we learned from it. Um, no teaser, no uh, spoiler alerts today because we're not spoiling anything. We're we're gonna, but the but the book. I think it's fair to say, Joy and Steve, uh, the ending will surprise people. Yeah, actually, it was the ending, and I won't spoil it. But uh, the ending of this book is what uh, made me want to study dystopian novels. It was one of the most profound books I've ever read, and I think it is one of the most important books that anybody can read personally. I do believe that. And it, it's such an interesting time with uh, the, the divisive politics in our country and some of the countries around the world. Mm-hmm. As I look at this book, I can see countries that fit pretty well, mm-hmm. actually, with exactly what's being described. And uh, and then we can see pieces of this uh, in our own country. And it is... Um, Ever vigilant. We've got to be ever vigilant. I, I remember um, some of the areas that I like to study are um, American national government. And uh, this battle in our country when the Constitution was first written over whether to have a Bill of Rights or not. And the Federalist Party said, now we don't need a Bill of Rights because they're all assumed and everybody knows they're there. And the Anti-Federalists said, are you kidding me? If we don't have them written in as protections, we're going to lose them. Mm-hmm. And that fight went back and forth and back and forth. And, um, and there were smart people on both sides. The winners, of course, were the Federalists, not the Anti-Federalists. But the, the winners of the story of American politics were the Federalists. But the Anti-Federalists, I think, have been proven to be correct, that if we don't protect certain rights and liberties that we're we're going to lose them and and um, that's part of the reason why we read these kind of novels isn't it it totally is um and th- you know the constitution obviously they couldn't have seen the way it would need to apply today but it covers a lot of that and that's why we have courts and things like that but it's we become complacent in our own world so you know i'm comfortable i've got a decent house i have enough food um, I have a good job, things like that. So it's very easy for me to just get it caught up in my world instead of paying attention to the greater things. And, it, you know, like in this country, so many people don't vote when it is the easiest thing to do here. And we act like it's not important enough, which is not true. Um, and then you see people in other countries where they're like traveling by foot for miles and miles to get to vote. And then they still might be harassed by government groups and so they realize how important that is because sometimes we don't realize until something's taken away from us, you know, how important that that luxury was. And I think books like this remind us of our duty, uh, the path that we're on, the things that we take for granted. The majority tend to let the minority go and vote. Yeah. And determine who the leadership is. That's a unfortunate thing. So Big Brother, who is Big Brother? Big Brother is the figurehead of um, 
their the government. So the the world's pretty much split into three parts. There's Oceania, which is where Winston lives, and then East Asia and Eurasia, uh, and they're always at war with one or the other. And part of the reason there is war, some people don't even believe the war is real. It's to control what's going on, means of production, uh, supply and demand, all that kind of stuff, because it have to be supporting the war. Um, so that's always going on. And uh, Big Brother, I th- so you would know this better than me, but I think that Orwell was making Big Brother, he kind of patterned him after Stalin and Hitler. Is that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that the thing is, it's not just that he's in charge. They essentially worship him. They have um, him on telescreens and posters all over the place all the time. They have um, different sessions where they get together as groups and they and they chant BB because Big Brother saved them from their enemy. The enemy that they talk about is Emmanuel Goldstein, who supposedly is against what Oceania believes in. Um, but you know, we never actually see big brother. We never actually see Emmanuel Goldstein. So everything's ambiguous. You don't know if that's a real person or a figurehead or whatever, but there's this worship of big brother and that that's what motivates everything else in the society. You, you mentioned the, the television show, big brother. And mm-hmm. I, I often think that it, it shouldn't be this way, but, but people measure the, the value of a, of a work by how much impact it has on society generally and if you if you think about uh, 1984 there's a ton of stuff that has come out of that book that has crept in not just big brother but has become part of english lexicon right yeah we you know memory hole something or we or we you know double speak or um uh, you know there there are there are lots of phrases out of 1984 that have become part of you know, warnings in, in just our regular English language. Yeah, I think that's true. And if you if you haven't read it or you're not familiar with it, you may not even realize that that's where we get these ideas from. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite um, T-shirts, kind of meme things, it says uh, 1984 was supposed to be a warning, not an instruction manual <laughs> because <laughs> people tend to like follow it, it, that kind of thing. And it's, it's not safe. It's not what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Well, there's a couple other characters. O'Brien. I don't think we've talked about Mm-mm. O'Brien. Um, any other characters we need to know about? O'Brien is um, interesting. Yeah. He's a member of the inner party. Um, that Winston feels a connection with and want, thinks that he might be a means to learn about Goldstein and what's really going on behind the government. There's also Mr. Charrington who runs the little shop where Winston gets contraband, essentially, um, writing utensils, things like that, that he's not supposed to have. And he ends up being very important in the book as well. So those are the people, and we kind of have the set out of these three, basically three countries. Mm-hmm. Um, Orwell's hope is is to warn us. Um, his whole intention is to try to um, influence our thinking and to protect us against something that he thinks is possible. And it's not just possible because it, it seems to me that 1984 has played out very clearly in many countries. We, we certainly have a lot of countries... Um, where the leaders over the last uh, 15 or 20 or 50 years have been thought of as deity. 
Yeah, that's definitely and true. Worshiped. And and one of the things is if I tell you, hey, are you seeing this happening? This is crazy. Um, people tend to, and I'm making a generalization, but be defensive. Oh, that would never happen. We don't think like that. We're not those people. But when you read it in a novel, you don't put the same wall up. You're just reading the novel for what it is. And all of a sudden you can go, oh, crap. <laughs> That's what's <laughs> happening here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think if we took uh, society and flipped, if we grabbed a group of people from 50, 100, 200 years ago, um, they would be surprised. Yeah, I think so. They, they would be surprised that we have evolved poorly in some ways, and they would probably be surprised that we have become better in some ways. That's true. Um, all of it's true, but, but this is a great story to remind us of what to strive for. Yeah. Like I said, I think it is one of the most important novels anybody could read. You've been listening to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast featuring Scott L. Wyatt, the president of Southern Utah University. We've been delighted to be joined in studio by our guest, Joyce Starantino from the English Department here at SUU. And we invite you to read 1984 with us during the month of July. We'll have Joy back and other guests join us to discuss the book at the end of the month. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Solutions for Higher Education. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit www.suu.edu forward slash President's Podcast, where you will find both the audio and a written transcript of today's podcast. The original music for this podcast was composed by Jack Barton, a master's degree student in music technology at SUU. For more information about Southern Utah University, please visit www.suu.edu.